For me, the list goes something like this. Cell phone, Coca-Cola, Reese's, but not Reese's Cups, Reese's holiday treats, starting with the pumpkin, then moving on to the Christmas tree, then the Valentine's Day heart. That's the real Reese's. That's when they're good. Um, Then the office, not work, um, but the television show. Um, Those, if you were to ask me, would be the list of my addictions. Like, I, I, I have to admit those to you because because I have a very addictive personality. There's other addictions that come and go, but those for a long time have been the ones that stick. When I, when I was writing this sermon, I actually considered bringing up visual representations of each of them, but in all honesty, I couldn't bring my cell phone on stage because if it lit up or a notification happened, I would have to stop preaching to look at it because that's how addicted I am to it. it it's, it's bad. Um, although... <laughs> Reese's and a Coke sounds really nice right now. Like, I'll be about 30 minutes if anybody wants to go get one. <laughs> I'll appreciate it. Um, but but here's, here's the thing about, about those addictions is like they've all been around for a long time. And they all, like, to be honest, seem relatively harmless, don't they? But when, what happens is when you start to dig at the surface of these particular addictions is they start to reveal a little more about the problems. You see, if if we were to go for you and and to start listing the things you were addicted to, it wouldn't take us long to start getting at the root of why those addictions happen. You see, my cell phone is an addiction for me. It's not because I, I don't play Candy Crush, I don't have a game that I'm really addicted to. You see, what I'm addicted to on my cell phone is, is the communication, is I want people to to hear my jokes, and I want my friends to think I'm funny. I'm addicted to posting things on social media that I think people will like and retweet and, and favorite, and I want to see the approval of others. I'm, I'm addicted to, to getting people who, who, who will say, hey, I need your opinion on this. Hey, I need your help here. Hey, what, are you, what is your idea of this? And, and so my cell phone for me isn't, isn't always an escape for me. It's, it's my approval vessel. And so it's this place where I can go and I can look and people can validate me in my heart and my opinion. And it becomes this place where I escape. And you see, like, like Coca-Cola and, and Reese's, like, like the reality of those is they're the place where I go when, when I need a fix. You see, I've never been addicted to drugs. I, I don't drink. But when I'm feeling bad, when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling low, it's not much better than, than a pop and Reese's. And the, the high of that sugar as it, as it touches my tongue is, is the perfect fix. But then inevitably what happens is the crash, right? But that's the thing about an addiction is it works for a moment, but then it goes away. And the danger of, of addictions like those, the danger of those addictions is that you write them off as, as harmless. And you write them off and you say, you know what, I mean, I wish that my, my neighbor, I wish that I, I wish that, that my spouse was addicted to, to Coca-Cola and Reese's Cups. I wish it was that. But the reality is, is that whether your addiction is, is something like that or is something serious like drugs and alcohol or, or pornography or gambling, the reality of addiction is, is that the problem with addiction is that addiction turns you into a slave. 
Whatever the addiction is that you have, whatever the addiction is that you're bound to, it turns you into a slave to it. You've seen it in, in addictions to drugs and alcohol. You've seen it in addictions to your cell phones. You see, you all laugh about me wanting to check my phone while I'm up here, but I, I watch y'all every week. Most of y'all can't go 30 minutes without checking your phone. You see, the reality of addiction is that you have become chained to whatever it is you're addicted to. Your day can't start without X, Y, Z. You don't feel right until you've A, B, C. Whatever that is for you, even if it seems harmless, the reality is, is that it's an addiction that has made you a slave. I'll confess something to you that might make you think less of me, um, but in reality, you've probably known me long enough that you can't get much lower. Um, but I have been to casinos before. Uh, it's not my favorite activity because it's really pretty depressing and I always lose money because I don't know if you know this, but they build big buildings because they make a lot of money, um, just for the record. And so I've been to casinos before and I, I find them really oddly unsatisfying because they don't do like the coins in the slot machine and you just put money on, a, on, a, on like a plastic cre fake credit card and you swipe it, it's not nearly as fun as the coins would be, and so I don't like them. But what's interesting about that, if you've not been to a casino in the last 15 years, is, is that people who are really, really big gamblers will take their card and they'll attach it to like a, like a wristlet. And so when you go to a casino, I kid you not, I, I would take a picture of this, but it's too depressing to hold on to, so I, I can't. And so I've been more than once to a casino, and, and I've seen this, and there are these ladies, it's always in particular elderly ladies, there are these ladies who will wear a wristlet with their frequent player keychain on it, and they'll slide their wristlet into the slot machine. So at one hand, they're chained to the slot machine. I kid you not, it's the weirdest picture. And the other hand is a cigarette, holding the arm of the slot machine, and then in the... I didn't think this would be funny. <laughs> it's really depressing when you're there. And then on the, on the slot machine itself is a glass of what I'm assuming is bourbon. I've never been around alcohol a day in my life, so I don't know for sure, but it looks like bourbon or whiskey or something. Maybe it's just iced tea. And it's like, it's the perfect picture of every addiction known to man at once and they'll slide their card in and it's like this like they're chained to the slot machine and i can hear them in their gravelly southern indiana voice going come on baby mama needs some more cigarettes and it's like this moment where i'm like this is it this is addiction that's everything and then I take a sip of my Coca-Cola and eat some Snickers cheesecake and walk out feeling high and mighty because I didn't gamble all that much. You see, the reality of, of the world that God created is that addiction was nowhere in the plan. Slavery was nowhere in the plan of what God created. It was never the intention. 
And what happens oftentimes when you talk about the Bible and you talk about the subject of slavery is people who don't want to read the Bible or people who are against the Bible will say, you can't read the Bible because the Bible condones slavery. And it happens a lot in the Western context because for us, the context we know of slavery is the, the horrid thing of slavery that we had from, from the beginning of our country until, until the Civil War. And so everyone thinks of slavery in that context, but the reality of slavery in the Bible is mostly different from that. And so I want to make sure that we're clear that 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 sort of slavery is not the kind of slavery we're talking about in this scenario. That a slavery based on kidnapping an entire entire group of people based on their race and holding them for for an eternity based on their race and, and treating them the way that they were treated is not the kind of slavery quote-unquote, that the Bible talks about for the most part. In most ways, when the Bible talks about how to treat a slave, the Bible is talking about a different form of slavery. You see, there was a time when God's people, the Israelites, were slaves. In Egypt, in the book of Genesis and into the book of Exodus, God's people were slaves, the Israelites were slaves, but God did that, God wrote a story out of that. This is the whole story of creation, is that God's people were in slavery, they were in bondage, but God wrote, God brought them out, right? This is the story of what happened in the book of Genesis and in the book of Exodus, is that he brought them out, and he brought them from slavery to the promised land. This was the goal. You see, that's the kind of slavery that we know of as the kind of slavery where because you're an Israelite, because you're this kind of person, we hold you captive, we, we hold you this way. That's that kind of slavery. But later when the Bible starts laying down rules and laws for slaves, that's where it gets a little bit different. Oftentimes, an Israelite person would sell themselves into slavery. And it's different than we know of as slavery. In fact, if you really wanted to get to the heart of the Hebrew word, it would be better translated as bond servant. And so to use it as slave and master is almost a misnomer and is what creates part of the confusion. And there are times in other parts of the discussion, and I don't mean to just boil it down and make it really simplistic for you, but a lot of this discussion could be resolved if we would just understand the the context and the greater meaning better. But what would happen is an Israelite would owe another person a debt. For whatever reason, they'd owe them a debt. And they'd come to them and they'd say, I can't pay this debt. They'd say, allow me to be your bond servant. And what would happen is they'd move in under that person's roof and they'd live in their house. They wouldn't be paid any money. They wouldn't have a salary. And they would live. And they would live as, as a servant would live. They'd be their maid or their butler in, in, in the kind of context that you would assume. They'd work their fields. They'd tend to their home. But the rule, there were rules to it. And this is where people get confused, is they think, well, see, God's condoning slavery, but he's not. These people are, are doing this willingly to try and pay off a debt, to try and make things right, to try and save, in some cases, their own lives because they had no other recourse. But look, listen, if you listen to the rules that God sets forth, you see rules like this. In Exodus chapter 21, this is what he says. God says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, He is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he should go free without paying anything. You see, it didn't matter how large the debt was. It didn't matter how much more they owed. God said, the rule is you can only keep them for seven years. In the year seven, they're gone. 
They don't get, you don't get to keep them for as long as you think they owe. You don't get to keep them for eternity. He said, you get to keep them for six. Year seven, they get to go. That's the beauty of the number seven. He said, number seven was freedom. Because again, God's plan for the world wasn't bondage, but freedom. And this is, again, God painting the picture of saying, the design for you, the goal for you, isn't slavery, it's freedom. Jesus comes to earth, and in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he stands up in a temple full of people, and he says this in Luke 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressors free. The good news of Jesus is freedom. You see, here's the reality. The reality for so many of us is that we're in sin. You see, whatever, whatever list you want to list of your, of your addiction, whatever part of it you want to make it, you can just justify it however you'd like, but the reality of who you are and what you're addicted to is that it is sin. An addiction to a cell phone is sin. It's idolatry to seek the approval of anything other than God. An addiction to to Coca-Cola and Reese cups is, is sin. Addiction to drugs, to alcohol, addiction to work, addiction to cigarettes, addiction to whatever it is you think it is. Addiction to anything is sin because what you're doing is you're making that the most important thing in your life. And when you make something the most important thing in your life, it becomes what? It becomes an idol. And that is sin. And that holds you down and it becomes the bondage that owns you. And this is why when we talk about addiction, we're not just talking about the bad ones. This isn't just a sermon about kicking the drug habit for most of us to just say, well, good, I don't have a drug habit. I'm, I'm free here. This is a sermon about all of us to say, hey, listen, there are some addictions in my life. And there are some things that I hold on to. And there are some things that have replaced God in my heart that I can't live without. Here's how you know whether or not it's an addiction. You ready? It's a very easy test. Quit it. Is your cell phone an addiction? Leave it here today and see how fast you call me to let you in later this afternoon. I know because it's usually about 1.30 when someone does and says, hey, uh, so-and-so left their phone. They, they stopped by the house to let me know they need you to let them in later. Is it sugar? Go ahead and quit it. Let me know how long that lasts because it's usually about 30 minutes for me. Because I don't think about it all that much when I haven't quit it, but when I do quit it, it's like, hey, sugar? Uh, Halloween was last week. Is there any candy in the house? Any, 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 any? Like when he was like, it's been 10 minutes. I know. Is there any candy in the house? I quit. Is there good? Is, Is there any? If it's approval of other people, Maybe it's something more serious. Just, just quit it for a day and see how you feel. And you'll find out really quickly how addicting those things are. If you want to know what your kids are addicted to, take it away from them. 
This is uh, the scariest thing that I've ever read. We try our hardest in our house to limit screen time because we want our kids to like, be normal at some point in their lives. They already have the odds stacked against them because they have half of my DNA inside of them. Um, but it's our goal for them to be relatively normal human beings. So we, we limit screen time. But about a year and a half ago, I read a study from this guy named Dr. Peter Wybrow of UCLA who compared screen time in toddlers and young children to digital heroin. And he said that it activates the exact same pleasure centers of the brain that, that the drugs, heroin and cocaine do. And he said, and they're quickly discovering the addictive, the addictive pleasure centers are, are very the, the same in children, and they're assuming they're probably the same in adults, too. So if you want to see if your kids are addicted, go ahead and take away the iPad. It's World War III. The limited time that we have it, it's World War III every time we take it away at our house. Because that's what happens with addiction, is it becomes this bondage thing, because it, the the purpose of addiction is it activates the dopamine in our brain, and the dopamine is, is a good thing, and it says, hey, this is good, this is enjoyable, this makes you happy, but then what happens is the next time you go back, how much you had that time wasn't enough the next time, and so you need more to activate more dopamine to get the same high that you had the last time. It's the way that your brain works. It's the way that it happens, and it's difficult to replicate that same high over and over again. So you need more screen time, so you need more sugar, so you need more approval, so you need more whatever it is to get the addiction higher and higher and to the point where it comes that you can't live without it. And it sounds really difficult because it is. You know, it's interesting to me how different life was in the Bible and how similar it is at the same time. Because in the Bible, there's no addiction to, to screen time. In the Bible, there's no illegal drugs. In the Bible, there's no, um, there's no talk about you know, social media. But, but the reality is, is that in the Bible, they use a different word for something similar that happened. In the Bible, they tell stories about people who were possessed by demons. And people ask me, they say, do you think that happens now? And I, I'll tell them straight to their face, probably not. And I'll say, because I don't, I don't think evil has to work as hard. But I think that addiction looks a lot like demon possession. And, and I'll tell you why, because it's in the story of Mark. In the, in the book of Mark, in chapter 5, in the story of a guy we call the Gerasian demoniac, um, growing up, we always called him Crazy Frank. I don't really know why we picked the name Frank, but that's what we, I've always called him. But it's in Mark chapter 5, if you want to turn your Bible there. And this is the story of a man who's demon-possessed, who I, I swear to you, it is an exact parallel to someone who is an addict. It's almost like the possession that he has is the possession of an addiction to drugs. And so we're going to read this story, starting in Mark chapter 5 together. It starts in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. 
You see, there's this guy that, that the whole town just started referring to as Crazy Frank, and they did everything they could to hold him back because when he was high, when he was going, he just destroyed everything. No one could stop him. No one could hold him back. Nothing could be done to, to stop this guy. And so eventually they just ostracized him to this part of town that no one goes. Right? Like the tombs wasn't like we think of as the graveyard. You know, we think of the graveyard as this place where we visit and put flowers and remember. For them, the tombs was a disgusting place where you only went to put a body and then run away because it was filthy and foul. And, and so it wasn't the kind of place to hang out. So they, they, they cast Frank there and they're like, hey, you get out of our way, please. Stay away from us. And he's miserable because he has this demon inside of him that he cannot let go. And he's like, fine, I'll stay away from you. You stay away from me. I'll just live my days out with, with this thing inside of me that I can't let go. And so he's ostracized from his family, from his friends, from his community. He has all of that there, and he knows where it used to be, and he knows who he used to be, but all he knows is that I just live here amongst this filthy, stinky stench of a tomb, and I just, this is what I do. Because he had this, this demon inside of him. And he, he could break the chains physically. But emotionally, spiritually, there was this bondage that held him down. This, this demon that just possessed him. And he started getting desperate night and day among the tombs and in the hills in verse 5 he would cry out and cut himself with the stones and down in the city they would hear him from time to time if the wind was blowing just right if the city was quiet enough if you were on the right side of town you could hear him you would think about him you would remember him yeah there's that guy what a story. What a memory. Remember who he used to be? Remember how he used to act? But then the demon got him. And this is the reality of what these addictions do to us is they change who we are, they change what we've become, and then we become so desperate that we don't know what else to be. We don't know who we used to be. We don't know how we became. We don't know how we got to where we are. And this is, this is who this man has become, that he has no hope because he just thinks, I, I don't know what else to be. And he's desperate. But Jesus gets off the boat. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. And for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. You see, the demons inside of him, they knew what was coming. They knew who Jesus was and they were afraid. They knew that he was about to release the demons from him and the man knew that something was about to change. They knew this. And if you've been around an addict, if you've been addicted to something, even if it's something silly and even if it's something that seems trivial, you know that feeling of when you've quit and you've almost started to regulate back to like a normal feeling when you stop jonesing for it and when you stop thinking about it and when you stop feeling it. And then that moment comes when you're at the gas station and you see that the candy bar are on sale 
where the fall has come and the pumpkins are back. Or when the babies were crying all night and you haven't had a pop for a year and you just can't keep your eyes open for another minute and you think one Coke won't hurt. Or when you walk outside and there's people smoking and you think, one more cigarette. Whatever your addiction is, you know that moment when you've been off for a while and you went through the pain and you went through the withdrawal and you went through the symptoms and now you're thinking, just maybe for a moment. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Maybe this is your story. Maybe every single one of those addictions that we've listed, you're going, yep, 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 yep. Oh, plus that one, plus that one, plus that one. Because you know what it's like to know that the dopamine just isn't getting enough because the highs just aren't coming as quickly as they used to because the pleasure center just isn't getting activated like it used to. And no matter how hard you tried, no matter how much you consume, no matter how, how deep it goes, no matter how many days in a row, it just doesn't seem like it's working like it did. And now you're coming to this point where all you can think about is how do I get to this next one? And you're at work and all you're thinking is I just got to get through this because I can get to the next one. And I just got to get to that, and then I'll get to the next one. If I can just get there, I can get to the next one. And you know that feeling. You know the hurt and the brokenness. And the man begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was nearby on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out and heard what happened. And all of a sudden, crazy Frank is just Frank again. Like, think about that for a second. For years, maybe even decades, this is the guy who everyone would, would jump in the closest doorway when he walked by. This is the guy whose life had been so wrecked, had been so wild, that he got banished to, this, to the worst part of town and ostracized furthest away from everyone else that he could be. This is the guy who no one else wanted to be around. This is the guy who everyone figured was hopeless beyond hope, who everyone else thought this is it for him. It's over. It's over. But instead, he encounters Jesus. And Jesus speaks one word, and it all goes away. But I'm going to be honest with you. Because honestly, I always wonder what it was like for Frank to go back into Gerasene. 
Do you think when he walked by there were still kids who got a little nervous? Do you think the first couple times he walked down the street, ladies would still hold on to their purses a little tighter and move to the other side of the street? How many months do you think it took for the police force to not buff up a little bit when he walked by? How long did it take for him to not feel the wrists, the brace of the, of the cuffs on his wrists? How long did it take for the stench of the tombs to wash out of his nose? Because the reality of, of demons, because the reality of addiction is that even when Jesus has changed us, even when he's freed us, for some of us, they, they'll, 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 the effects will linger you see, there's a lot of things about Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous and all of those anonymous that I, that I like. And I like the 12-step program, and I like a lot of what they do. One of the things that I don't like is that, is also one of the things that I do like. You see, I don't like that they say once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, because it's not true. Once Jesus has changed you, you're, you're only identified by the fact that Jesus has changed you. But the reality of that fact is that you could have quit for 20 years and one sip could send you back. And the reality of addiction is that it's still there even if Jesus has changed you. And that's the thing about these demons of addiction is that they're a battle but they're not a battle you have to fight alone. They're not a battle you have to fight by yourself. You see, they're a battle that Jesus fought for you long ago. You see, Jesus didn't come just to do miracles like healing the Gerasian demoniac. He didn't come just to, to walk around and, and cast demons out of pigs. He didn't come just to stand in front of crowds and say, I've come to preach good news to the poor. Jesus came to do all of that in order to build up to one particular moment. And that particular moment that he builds up to is the moment on another hill. And that moment on another hill is that moment where he was nailed to a cross. And in that moment when he was nailed to a cross, he was nailed to a cross for our freedom. But the freedom that he was nailed to the cross for wasn't just our freedom on this earth, because in reality, our freedom on this earth is a little less than we think. You see, the freedom that we were promised is the freedom for eternity in heaven. Freedom for eternity in paradise. And so the chains of slavery, the bondage of sin can break us. We can owe the debt of sin forever. Or we can accept that on the cross, Jesus paid that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for you 
and for me to have that.